you want to watch the band you like succeed, they're going to need people along the way that get them up to the higher rung of the ladder. Some of the grief is saved by, by those people that are still really paving the way and making it a thing that we can even do this. There's no I in team, but there is one in DIY. But ignore it. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is Selling Out. I'm the casino that pays nothing when you win. Please put your money in. Hey, welcome back to Selling Out. It's a podcast about music and money. It's really about a Shakespearean tragedy of music and money, the star-crossed lovers from feuding noble houses that can never be together, and uh, the whole thing just implodes after a while. I'm Mike Moschetto, your host. Thanks so much for joining me. If you've listened to the podcast before, or the most recent episode specifically, I probably said that I was going to do this more often. Um, But this time, this time I mean it. I have more tapings on the books, and I have... Uh, more episodes already in the can. So the person who has pledged $10 per episode on Patreon is about to be no fan of mine. You know, just write your favorite band a check for Christ's sake. Um, the more astute eared among you will notice that I don't quite sound the same as I did in the previous episodes. And that is because this is the first time I'm recording at the place that I said I was moving into in the last episode, which if you had to guess, it is a square, untreated, bare-walled room. So this will sound better over time as I tape more of these and I, I do some work on the place. Uh, but you're just going to have to bear with some room reflections for now. Anyway, on to today's interview. I spoke with my friends in the band Perspective A Lovely Hand to Hold. They are an emo band from Nashua, New Hampshire. They have a new record coming out this Friday called Lousy. It's coming out on a label called Lauren Records. I have worked with these guys in the past. I did their first two full lengths in an EP and a split for them. I love them. They're a great band. And I've been wanting to talk to them for a while, but I figured I would hold off until they had this new record in the can and ready to go for you. You'll hear me speak to Jacob McCabe and James Palco. And we talked about streaming revenues and touring and finding fill-ins for touring and quitting your job to go on tour, sometimes in a blaze of glory. Without further ado, here's James and Jacob from Perspective, A Lovely Hand to Hold. Jacob, you more or less started the band and write most of the material, correct? Uh, yes, more more or less. And James, you're the, the new guy, the new bassist? I'm the new hire. Is that why your bass parts on the new record are really low in the mix and then the other guys all you call you like piece of shit James <laughs> and they make you wear a big dunce cap at your shows and all that? Yeah. <laughs> he wears yeah. it on his own. Well, I can play along with it, so James, fuck you and you will speak only when spoken to, understood? Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> Very good. This is what feels right. <laughs> yeah. You, Six direct orders. You love it. Yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment. So at the time of this recording, you're about to head out on a six-week tour. Is this the longest uh, continuous run you guys have done? Yeah, longest consecutive tour for us. And when was the last time you did something of this scale? Historically, we because of 
the logistics of being in this band and who's in it and stuff, we've always had to deal with the um, college schedule um, and stuff like that. So it's always been summer tours for us mainly for larger, um, more spread out tours uh, to cover more ground. But, you know, we're all grown up now and <laughs> out of school, so we we waited and didn't do it in the summer, which we're very thankful for. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, every year we've done some sort of a large tour to some capacity to try and... How long was the one that you guys did where the most was with you, but then we tripped, we like went off? That, that one was, um, we did two weeks with, a, with Deer Leap, and then we had a week off, and then we went out for five weeks. Okay. Wow. You talked about being in college and now that you're, I mean, all grown up. I don't know if I would put it in those terms, but um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. What, <laughs> what are the weeks and months leading up to something like this look like for each of you in terms of work life balance? Why don't I start with start with start with Jacob? Uh, <laughs> it's just working. I mean, work life balance for me is pretty light. I mean, I have a full time job, but I it's pretty lackadaisical. I don't have uh, too much demand, not too much, not too heavy of a workload. And you book most of this stuff yourself. Yeah, this one we did <clears throat> mainly on our own. We kind of in the eleventh hour rallied and got all these shows together. So are you like booking shows on the company dime? I won't tell. <laughs> Just make sure that your boss doesn't listen to this. Uh, I mean, I guess probably at some point I probably did, but you FaceTimed us from the Apple bathroom, like in the toilet stalls over business. Yeah, Tim Cook won't mind. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> Tim, if you're listening, I mean. Apple Podcast. It all comes together under one roof. Um, so, yeah. so you work you work for Apple. Mm-hmm. Are you a genius? I'm a technical expert. <laughs> You're a little special little genius boy. Wow. Yeah. And James, what's your situation? What are you doing for work? Uh, it's incredibly depressing. I temp in New York City, so it's like a lot of clerical and reception work, and it's pretty much just killing time between shows and tours and then obviously a freelance um, audio recording on the side and I try to get that to be more often so that I can take more time off of this temp crap but leading up to tours like this it's just killing time I would assume yeah. that w- the temp thing actually kind of works in your favor a little bit because you, oh, yeah. can, you can end one gig and then kind of pick up something else as soon as you're available again is that, is right. that how it I, works? Or is I, that- I literally told my boss Monday that I was going on this tour and she was like, all right, see you when you get back. Wow. So, so that's, that part's really convenient. But then I also like had to turn down job offers that were more like permanent positions. And I had to be, I had to explain to them why I was doing it. And they're like, that seems a bit ridiculous, but I believe he worded I mean, it along the lines of something like a musical obligation or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> obligation. Yeah. I always try to make it seem more important than it really is. You have to. You have it's to. Very I, also, I also think that, like, if you have like, you know, normal people as coworkers, they're like, Ooh, right. you're in a band. They have That's no so cool. concept of what this really is. They have no idea, and yeah. it's just so great for them to continue on with their lives. We're yeah. like, we're very, we're very brave people like us. We're very. <laughs> there's a lot of valor and um, yeah. yeah, and glory. I would say in it. There is. I'd, uh, I'd agree with that. <laughs> and uh, uh, Jacob, how long have you been with um, the good Apple Company? Uh, almost three years. And so you've had this job. You've, you've you can take off a month at a time if you need to, or six weeks at a time. Yeah, 
I've been pretty fortunate in that way. When I got hired, they kind of knew that like it was something that I do. And as huge as a company as they are in a retail setting, they like, you know, as a company, their values, they have a pretty good like respect for like the, the arts and stuff like that. So they understand like the creative side of things and stuff. And I don't know, they've always been really like supportive of it as long as I let them know far enough in advance and stuff. I know it's hard for people in bands to find jobs that like balance with being able to do this. Um, I've lived that myself in previous jobs where like I didn't really have the flexibility to do something like this, but like this year alone, between band stuff like touring and also just like my own personal needing time off for other stuff, like I've already taken two months off this year. You know what I mean? <laughs> My God. So when you like we look at the year, like over the course, you know what I mean? Like that's pretty crazy. I'm fortunate in that way that I know a lot of people don't necessarily have that. Definitely not paid time off. Right. <laughs> have you ever left a job to go on tour? Like a permanent, not, oh, yeah. not a camp <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It felt so good. Oh, okay. So this kind of like dovetailed between hating your job and going on tour. Yeah. Yeah. I quit a restaurant job to go on tour and I literally like walked out the door and got into a van and it felt so good until I got home and had no money and no job. <laughs> so mine was pretty similar. I just left a retail job to go on a tour and then came back to no money, no job and had to find a new one and stuff and. Yeah, so we've done that before, you know what I mean? And like, you'll you'll do pretty much anything when you come home to no money and no job. Yeah. Like, I was cleaning puke and I was toilet stalls for, like, six months. It was horrible. But what were you doing for work? Oh, that was a burn. That was a little roast on you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> oh, that insinuating that you nice. like cleaning up puke and Right, and I was toilets. just doing that for fun. <laughs> if you do the job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I know from experience that you guys have had bandmates who have left or just couldn't tour to the extent that was expected of you, or you've had to recruit fill-ins or jobbers for either well, shows, one-off, and one or for the road. So, um, yeah, that's James. That's why you're here. But but talk about right. that in a broader sense, Jacob. Yeah, it's it's always a headache. In 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 people who have done it for us, we've always been so appreciative of and and they're always super talented and super like able to jump in and do something like that. Like that, like, believe me, Mike, we're not paying them. Like it's not. (laughs) Wow. These are, these are people who are friends of ours that are doing us like a genuine favor. And that is how James got involved with us. Um, James just had the, I was living with the most and you did the tour with them and you needed the fill in at the same time. So it just kind of worked out. Yeah. And, and in the past though, when we've done that before, we've had to fluctuate members in a number of capacities. I mean, when I, when we started this band, I was the bass player and now I'm not because it made more sense. Um, we learned as time went on that like trying to teach non-members of our band guitar parts was more complicated than trying to teach bass parts and stuff like that. So then we just kind of kept that continuity um, moving forward. And James actually on a, on a separate tour played guitar for us because Ben couldn't go which I play guitar on, and I don't even remember. We had to Connor split up the place. Yeah, Andrew and Connor. Yeah, so, we, I mean, we've had a, a number of live members of this band, which has actually been kind of fun, because in the van, like, the, the touring side of it is kind of nice, because you get different dynamics with different people. Of course. Um, especially when you get to split it up. So, like, if we do four or five weeks or something, and, like, that's what we had to do last summer. Andrew left when we were in California, and we picked up Connor, Connor in Arizona. Arizona and stuff, so... It was kind of cool how it all worked out, but um, it is a headache 
working out the logistics, you know, and getting people prepared and comfortable. How often has that stopped you in your tracks? Like, how often have you said, like, okay, we actually can't do this at that time? Or do you just, like, figure it out no matter what it takes? Someone flies out in the Maybe middle of a tour. Maybe for one-offs we've not done it, but not yeah, for, like... not for tours. Yeah, we've always made it work for tours. Um, so touring is, like, kind of a cornerstone of your activity in this band, you'd say, right? It's kind of, like, the necessary evil, almost? It, it is absolutely... Noodle. Oh, oh, there's a dog here, sorry. No, that's good. I like that. Noodle, sit. Can, come he, on, Noodle, can, come can the dog talk instead of James? Yeah. <laughs> Noodle, come here now. <laughs> Do you have a third microphone? Yeah, it, <laughs> it's absolutely a necessary evil for I, for any band that wants to kind of remain active. and. Well, okay, maybe um, I shouldn't say necessary. Do you like it? Do you enjoy touring? Or does it kind of feel like an obligation? <laughs> like, be, you can be honest. You can made. kind of dress it up however you want. But, I mean... <laughs> No, it sounds like maybe Noodle doesn't agree, but do you think that I'm characterizing it fairly, though? It's, yeah. It's fun. It's a double-edged sword, you know? It's a grind. It's an, it's a, there is an obligation side of it. Um, and like, like we talked about before, like it's, it's a sacrifice because you sacrifice time and money and, and um, a lot of... Well-being, mental well-being. Yeah, all of that stuff is, um, is stuff you have to consider. So it's, but it is fun when you're out there. I mean, I, I wouldn't... That experience for someone who is interested in it and appreciates it is like kind of unexplainable to be able to drive around with your friends around the country for four to six weeks, you know what I mean? If your drummer Matt, for example, said like, guys, I can't really swing it anymore for this or that reason or whatever, would you forge ahead or at what point does it become like, uh, is there a future version of perspective that's just like Ben and three people 15 years younger than him who like know the No, parts? it's just <laughs> Jacob with a bunch of like strings attached to his arms that he's pulling with levers. Yeah, honestly, Mike, if in 2025 we can like clone, then we're good. <laughs> But isn't that a big thing, though, Mike? I mean, you, I mean, I think a lot of people in bands have related to that of like having that reliability from somebody. Like, it's it's hard to get four people in a room sometimes, you know? Oh, definitely. But it, I guess it's getting at more of a philosophical thing of at what point is the band more than just you guys, and then it becomes a self-sustaining operation where it would be disadvantageous to everybody to end it just because oh the original drummer can't do it anymore he is the heart and soul we definitely of the band, making a know? lot of money <laughs> yeah you're, you're just rolling in it you don't want to stop that <laughs> yeah i mean i can't speak for jacob or the other guys but like i wouldn't really want to play without the other members as they are right now yeah i definitely feel that way too i mean there's a lot of there's some bands I feel like that like go through a lot of variations of members and then there's some bands that just like are only one formation and then if if it's one person that leaves then it you know it can't be another incarnation of it you know so I I for this band I feel fortunate that we've been able to go this long you know what I mean and still be an active band to be able to put out you know three full-length records and stuff like that that's I don't know a lot of 
people in bands don't necessarily get to do that. You know what I mean? Of course. And that's, that actually is so perfect with my next question here. So you're about to release your third full length, which <laughs> is a milestone to which most bands honestly don't make it. And you've had a few songs really pop off. Do you think that you might not have arrived at this point had some of those prior releases not found an audience? I don't know. I don't know yet. It's, uh, I like this record a lot. I It's probably some of the better like songwriting i suppose from an outside perspective of someone who wasn't around for the for the for the other records it's funny because you said the Um, name of the band kind of yes (laughs) that was very good um from an outside opinion there you go i think that this is my favorite of your writing personally although if pepe didn't pop off who knows where we'd be now that's right that's right right. and that's sort of the some of that philosophical that you were talking about mike it's like if those things didn't exist have you kind of examined the different motivations that you might have now and how they've influenced your writing process does it feel does it feel the same as when you were writing the first record or do you feel kind of an external pressure to deliver i guess uh that exists for sure but i um it does feel different than writing the first record for sure like it's um when we wrote the first record we were still in high school so like (laughs) that's true um just like a a long time ago in a galaxy far far away i don't know what you're talking about but for this one yeah there's i don't know people people do listen to our band and i there is that sort of like i want people to like it didn't necessarily write it for them to like it but i certainly would like people to enjoy it well does it ever does it ever um manifest in the form of like oh this needs a hook here or like we need to put out something with i guess i mean you guys have um I think it would be fair to characterize them as breakdowns. <laughs> uh, I could, I definitely see that the gang goes on tour. We were like, all right, well, we could do another Always Sunny reference with this. Yeah. And uh, we could definitely write a hook here that would be promising for a single or for a release. And Yeah, just that first single, I think, was probably the only one that was catered to that like sort of mindset. But it was also written, and this is like no pun intended, it was written in the 11th hour in the in a like while in we were winter. tracking it yeah so hmm. it was no i've definitely i've definitely written songs like that where i think the last song that we wrote for the first aviator record was something where we were like oh we need one more fast one this kind of drags in like the back anyway we're, <laughs> we're getting we're getting way off track um we mentioned pepe sylvia i don't know what kind of memory you guys have you're a little younger but when all of the bullshit went down with the peer-to-peer file sharing services like napster and kazaa and I remember that at that time, there was talk of Napster transitioning to a model like what we have now, where you pay a certain amount per month and you can listen to as much music as you want. And I remember mm-hmm. this specifically because I remember also thinking, what a great big load of shit and like people would never go for that. <laughs> so it's probably kind of taken for granted nowadays that at this point, so many of us are doing that thing we said, or at least I said, we'd never do. Um, right. Now, the payout per stream for these things is famously paltry i guess you could say less than half right. of a penny per play something like that on spotify specifically um right i guess this would be kind of a fun time to mention that the ceo of spotify has somehow amassed a two billion dollar fortune um i'm interested in the origins of that but i guess that's a whole other podcast now i want to talk to you guys about this and i haven't really touched on it much on the show which is interesting but so you guys have kind of a lot of streams yeah yeah we're fucking this, sick this, the song know? pepe sylvia has 
almost a million streams just on Spotify. And then like, you know, almost 40,000 views for that video on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Has that translated into some kind of cold, hard cash? (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, yes. To to some capacity. I mean, we are by no means... um, now we're rich backing, as hell. Or backing up the Brinks truck, as some may say. <laughs> but we, yeah, we, for our records up to this one, the way that the rights have sort of played out for us, which is, I don't even still fully always understand it, but the agreements that we've come to for releasing the past, like, our past music has um, been, ad- been advantageous for us to be able to, like, be in control of that to some capacity, which I'll, I'll, I feel like some bands sort of like void that right um sometimes and i don't get to see enough of those types of deals and stuff um sure but for those kind of numbers like to be close to a million streams um yeah we sort of are able to collect the the full capacity for something like that and does that materialize in the form of like oh cool we can just not worry about the van payment for this month or or we can buy a a new like a order a new batch of shirts for tour or something like that. It's at a threshold where it basically allows us to become like some sort of self-sufficient where we don't necessarily have to empty our own pockets to have to be able to like fund this band, um, which is like an accomplishment. And definitely at one point was an objective to like not have to do that because at one point we were doing that where we had to each shovel out, you know, 70 bucks a month for a van payment or, um, you know, worry about shirts for the next tour and stuff like that. So that is exactly how it's materialized for us, which um, is, again, just super nice because... Yeah, it's it the just, dream. Um, yeah, it can it can really empty the old bank account, you know? I guess the reason that you can kind of bank on the streaming revenues is because you have these favorable deals. You've worked with, like, a number of different independent yeah. record labels. It's pretty miraculous that they have given you uh, the digital streaming rights yeah well it's not all fine and dandy because we still owe some money on some on some of these things because we didn't sacrifice the streaming you see you see this cut where people throw away streaming rights in favor of a more upfront monetary gain however records yeah we're seeing like we're seeing the benefit of the streaming but we still owe on records the digital side of it though has been like that that first ep was self-funded by us in terms of like the studio side of it. Yeah. Um, so we had the tracks, we did them with you. I remember. Uh, kudos to you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, fond memories of, uh, of the office recording. Good times. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. And yeah, so we took those and we had those on, um, yeah, we've worked with a few labels. We were first on Broken World Media where that originally came out on a cassette tape and then it came out on a seven inch vinyl and then um you know we did more records and stuff like that and that ep actually came out after our lp did all that aside we were able to the way that the agreement was when we first made the cassettes we had the digital still and at that point i mean mike you probably heard some of the different ones that are out there i think at that point we were using a um distributor called TuneCore. i've heard of it yeah, and we've since moved our stuff, and we use uh, a company called DistroKid now. So I should butt in and say that with services like TuneCore and also DistroKid and also CD Baby and all these other ones, where if you don't have a record label to distribute your material, you pay one of these services 
Um, I believe it's like a certain amount per album per year or a certain amount per track per year. And they send it to all of the digital outlets like iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify. I mean, iTunes probably won't exist by the time I release this. It's going to turn into something else. <laughs> you as an well, Apple distro technical distro expert. DistroKid is by artists, not by release. I think you can pay for different tiers where it's like you can have multiple artists under one account. Right, that is true, I'm yeah. thinking about I'm thinking about doing that because I have many um, alter egos. Right, and I, I don't want the branding to cross over. Um, <laughs> right, but you know, in in return for this, you get, uh, like I said, like half a penny per play. So it's right. If I, how exactly do you know how Pepe Silvia got so many fucking streams, dude? Like, did you get on a, a playlist or whatever? Yeah, the playlists are where the numbers come from for sure. Like that's where any of the songs that sort of catch that um, momentum. And since we're talking about it, I'll kind of give you just like some real numbers and this isn't like totally comparable, but like a song as old as Pepe Silvia, which is on playlists and stuff like that. In the last 28 days, 35,000 streams approximately. In the last 28 days? Correct. Oh my God. And in the last 28 days, two of our new singles um, have accumulated about 15,000 streams. And those two are on some sort of playlist. But that's what's cool about that, um, you know, when you have your DistroKid account and you can, you get access basically to your like Spotify artist page. And then you, when you have these singles come out or albums come out, you can submit them to like editors to be added to these playlists and stuff like that. So they, they do kind of put the power into the artist's hands. There's lots of ways to be creative and get kind of out there and stuff like that. I've been reading more about it and it's kind of interesting how it, people are now starting to like try to game it you know what i mean yeah i, I actually spoke to someone who was talking to me about um a post-rock band that one of their tracks got added to a, a playlist and like if you look at their page like that particular song has like many hundreds of thousands more streams than the next couple songs combined right. or whatever but it's be- <laughs> yeah. it's like a really washy <clears throat> ambient track but it's because it got added to a bunch of like yoga playlists or something right so it's not like the demands like they're not going to play that at a gig they're like oh this is the song that i do like downward dog to you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so actually to to jump in on that i was briefly doing some mastering for stuff like that with a, a company i won't say the name in case they get caught for some weird stuff like in terms oh, of spotify spill the tea spotify algorithm it's spotify algorithm playing so basically, I was mastering for these tracks that were like 30 seconds long to a minute long, and they get bought out and put on these playlists for hotel lobbies, for like these companies that would just play it in their building, and they just get looped and looped and looped and looped, and these, these little companies will stack songs and then just crank up the royalties on it. And I was making like a, an okay chunk of money every month for like you know a couple days worth of work. That's awesome. And they just play this algorithm and the playlist, you know, just generates money. And I'm wondering at what point the bubble's gonna pop on that. I'm worn out, I'm angry, I'm pissed off on South Main Street. And I never thought I'd work a single fucking day at all. I never thought I'd work a single fucking day. Yeah. 
Jacob, how has how has touring and uh, making and releasing records changed since you even you started the band? Like, are people still buying vinyl when you go out and tour? People are still buying vinyl, and uh, you know, at one point, Mike, like when we before we had vinyl, we really wanted vinyl because uh, other bands had vinyl, and we wanted to have vinyl because we wanted to be at that tier and like. You wanted to be have that cool. sort of like you wanted to do what the other yeah, bands were doing. Yeah, wanted to be cool and have that on the merch table, you know. And then you have vinyl, and you're like, "Man." Well, we had that discussion where we were thinking about what we wanted to put this new record out on, and we were like, "Well, we've done everything on vinyl so far. It would be kind of really lame to switch back to maybe going to cassettes or burnt CDs. <laughs> Just right. wouldn't have the same level of professionalism." Right. Do you think it's professionalism? Do you think do you think that's what it None is? None of this is professionalism, Mike. Well, yeah, this is true. amateurism. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess well, okay, let's let's go off on a tangent here. I'm having fun. God damn it. Um yeah. <laughs> the professionalism thing, is there a burning desire, would you say, that you end up like opening in like big rooms for bigger tours and eventually headlining? Do you want to get into that kind of circuit or are you happy to keep doing the DIY thing as long as it's still like <laughs> sort of fulfilling and, and profitable enough. I want the enough. money, Mike. <laughs> yeah, that, we're selling out, Mike. Let's, what podcast are we on here? <laughs> Full transparency, any room for growth and to be able to like play bigger be in shows. front of more people yeah. and, and play, you know, play with, with bands that like draw well, that we, even that we might look <laughs> up to and that we like right. enjoy ourselves and stuff like that. Like, um, Do you think Reliant K will ever take you out? I would love that, dude. That'd be Mike, so sick. I could tell you some funny stories. We actually, I'm on a like a semi first name base. Like he knows uh, who we are and stuff. He like likes that. my tweets. Matt Hoops loves my tweeting. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny. I bought a pedal from him a while back, and then I ended up talking to him about like um, potentially like working on the record together and. Then I bought a. He he started making pedals. I bought a pedal from him and stuff like that. And um, it's it's just always funny that that like comes up. But like, he's listened to our band before. <laughs> Have you been in contact with anyone like uh, a manager prospect or any kind of uh, any kind of way you'd some, build a team? Um, some like smaller scale like uh, booking agents. Um, but we've at least spoken to and stuff like that. And, um, being on Lauren records has been really cool. At least just like meeting some of the people that Aaron knows and stuff. That's been, um, a really positive experience. Um, you know, the more you, it's networking, you know, the more people, you know, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody and, and if they hear you, it, you know, sometimes it works out for you and stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but I'd like to someday. <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on it, honestly, but <laughs> Something that we were really hoping for this time around with the new record and, and pushing forward was we were trying to get a, a booking agent to do these tours and work with us on these tours. And we've been fortunate to have people reach out and help with chunks of it, but it's still a self-book tour. Oh, yeah. it's, that's brutal. Do you ever like try to um, gauge your time spent doing that? There was like a two or three week stint where it was basically like every night when I got home from work, I sat on my computer for a couple hours just trying to keep things organized and and there was a couple areas of the country where like it was like a complete black hole of like endless like people recommending somebody who recommended somebody who couldn't help me who recommended something you know what I mean like you're just like wormhole. yeah oh yes. my God, do I know it? um and then uh, that's the other thing though because we've 
toured before and we've um you also start to build those people that you had like successful shows with and that still throw these shows and stuff like that and are able to help you out um so some of the grief is saved by by those people that are um kind of still really paving the way and making it a thing that we can even do this you know what i mean like it's still crazy to think that like we'll somehow survive being able to play a show in a different city every night for six weeks and stuff like that um with like if you think about it in terms of levels or whatever like the level that we're at as a band you know what i mean um there's a lot of people still doing that and it's um i guess we're just fortunate that way so you're not you're not committed to the DIY life like you're not going to boycott like clear channel venues or whatever the fuck and just <laughs> It's not DIY or die for us but um I mean it's always been I would say like for the cliche it's yeah, definitely it's, been a home for us like it's we've always been very welcomed in a DIY scene and we've it's, done uh, It's DIY if we have to. <laughs> yeah. Not not DIY or die. I feel like that's the the undercurrent that runs under everything, and I don't know where the DIY or die thing really came from. And I'm mad at whoever started it, frankly. Yeah, honestly. Like, do you think do you think kids care? Do you think people who buy your records give a shit if you're they like they can't possibly on a, because like a, no. the Honda Civic tour? Let's just say, shout out to my good personal friends at Honda. Right. <laughs> I can't imagine. I maybe. There's, there's so many bands that everyone likes now that are on bigger labels or on, have booking agents or have, you know, tour press. And, like, there's just, if you want a band, if you want to watch the band you like succeed, they're going to need people along the way that get them up to the higher rung of the ladder, you know? Yeah. At what point does, for the love of the game, stop being a valid rationale for doing all this? It's like it's one thing to go out for a week-long regional tour or maybe even two weeks here or there if you're afforded some paid time off. But... You know, you're spending serious money on on gear, on studio time, and six weeks on the road once a year or so. Like, there must be a reasonable expectation that you're going to make a splash. How do you define that? Like, what is the what is the next step look like after this? How far ahead do you think? Um, I don't know how far. I mean, we definitely have goals still as a band. Like, I mean, we'd love to be able to leave this current job. Like, to have a need to be able to like turn this into something that could like pay the bills is objectively i would say like a goal for me um being in this band this long and stuff like that like it it feels partly mike like a like an after school activity but also still feels enough like there feels enough momentum and activity to like be hopeful um but you're right though like every year goes by we get older like how much sense does it make anymore i don't know but we for are we now, the, we keep doing it. Are we the first people on this podcast that still have, like, a semblance of hope? Isn't this supposed to be, like... Um, <laughs> probably. I've heard, plenty of people have hope. Wait, who did? Um, who, who had hope? I don't know. <laughs> send someone around it. to that break was, their knees. <laughs> the hope was that they're all still doing it, for the most part. You must be thinking of a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you liked what you heard today, go buy that Perspective A Lovely Hand to Hold album. It's called Lousy. It is out on Lauren Records as of this Friday, September 27th. If you live in a United States, they are probably playing near you in the next six weeks. So look them up on socials. I will have plenty of links and information in the description of this episode. If you want to support Selling Out with a monetary contribution, you can find out how to do that at patreon.com slash sellingoutpodcast. The show is on Twitter, at AD. 
please consider leaving a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. It really does help other people find the show. Or tell your podcast listening friends it's a true crime show about uh, wage theft or something. Our theme song is No Cab Fare by Such Gold, photography by Nick DiNatale. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is Selling Out. <laughs>